0: Welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. I'm your host, Guardian Nurses founder, Betty Long. During season three, we'll be delving in deeper to the amazing lives and stories of nurses and other healthcare professionals from around the country. We'll also be talking with a few of my nurse advocate colleagues at Guardian Nurses. You'll get a behind the scenes peek at the healthcare system as well as get advice on how to get the best care when you or a loved one is a patient. I have always said that communication is the cornerstone of healthcare. You know, care delivery involves countless patient handoffs between providers, units, departments, and facilities, as well as interactions with multiple administrative and care professionals of various backgrounds and levels of training. Every handoff and interaction, whether it's among caregivers or between caregiver and patient, involves an exchange of information. It is no surprise, then, that effective communication is not only critical to meeting patient needs and providing safe, high-quality, and patient-centered care, it is necessary to how healthcare delivery is managed. In this episode, we talk with my guardian nurse's colleague, Charlotte Jeroma. A nurse advocate who shares her experience helping one of her hospitalized patients who felt that her hospital team just wasn't listening. Stay tuned. Welcome, Charlotte Jeroma. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Betty. I appreciate being here.
0: Yes, I appreciate you being here as well. Um I uh we have a, a good story to talk about and and certainly to help our Listeners um, advocate for themselves if possible. But before we get into that, I would like to hear a little bit about your journey to nursing, right? So uh you've been a nurse for how long?
1: This year marks my twentieth year of being a nurse actually.
0: Oh, congratulations. Uh is that anniversary in May during typical graduation month or
1: Yes. I did graduate in May. Yeah. May <laughs> of twenty or two thousand two.
0: Wow, congratulations. Oh, that's great. And where did you go to thank school? At?
1: So I went to Montgomery County Community College and got my associate's there. And then uh-huh. much later in my career, probably 10 plus years later, I went to Immaculata and I received my bachelor's through Immaculata.
0: Oh, great. Okay, great. So 20 years. Remind me to, to have a a cake. We'll have a cake.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Any reason to have cake, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, um, so tell me about the journey. I, I, I want to talk a, you know, a little bit about you, and then we'll talk about your role at Guardian Nurses. But, tell me a little bit about the journey. What, what led you to nursing? We all have a different path, uh, but what led? What was your path? So,
1: I think my whole life I was destined to be in the medical field. Even as a very young child, uh, most kids want to be like firefighters, police officers, dancers, vets. I always told my mom I was going to be a magician pediatrician. And my mom told me, <laughs> my mom explained that I said I wanted to trick the kids into getting better. Well, I guess I always had a little flair for the extra, even though. Nice. Um, I like but that. My, <laughs> but my juggling skills really never took off, so becoming a <laughs> nurse seemed like the next obvious choice. Um, So I would say my mom was my main influence in becoming a nurse. She was like an innate caregiver. Um, When I was a child, she worked in a skilled nursing facility. She loved her patients, she loved her job. Um, And then growing up, I had a little sister who was very medically complex. She had a diagnosis of what was called Rett syndrome. So that's a chromosomal disorder and it led to a lot of medical issues. Uh, She saw lots of doctors, specialists. She had a lot of surgeries in and out of hospitals much of her early life.
0: Oh, and were was she older or younger than you?
1: She was ten years younger. I was the oldest of four children. Okay. So
0: okay, so you were a lot of time you were taking care of her.
1: Yeah, my mom was definitely the primary caregiver. Um, my sister never truly advanced past infancy, mentally or physically, um, okay. and as her age progressed, so did her conditions. Uh, she eventually had like feeding tubes and trach and ventilator. Uh-huh. So, needless to say, like. Literally grew up with the medical field around me. Wow. Um, then my first year of nursing school, my dad got sick. He was diagnosed with non-small cell cancer. Um, wow. and he did pass from that. Wow. But my mom continued to shine in her caretaker role and was my prime example through all that. So wow. okay, and that's why I became a nurse, because of my mom.
0: Wow. Okay. I, great. That's wonderful. And 20 years later, here you are talking about it. Great. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and, and so you and you came to Guardian Nurses after a successful hospital career, correct? Yes, ma'am. Was it so always? I think I, it was in the emergency room, right?
1: Right. Like right after um, nursing school, I went and started in an interventional telemetry unit. I worked in the ER as a tech, and I knew I loved the ER, but I felt like I just wanted to get my feet wet and... Um, get my bearings. So I went to an interventional telemetry unit. And from there, I moved on to an ICU where I spent a very, very brief amount of time. Um, And then I transitioned right to the emergency department where I spent um, over 15 years of my career, I believe.
0: Why do you say you had a brief, a very brief time in ICU? What was that about?
1: (laughs) Um, I I spent like a year and a half there. And Uh it's just a, a different place. Very
0: organized and very methodical, and then ER is not. <laughs> you
1: never it's know what's So, right. so I like a little chaos in my life. I guess <laughs> I thrive with the chaos.
0: That's interesting to to hear, because you know ER is a critical care unit, really, because you're you know you're dealing with a lot at, at a very short time. Uh, to to hear an ER nurse say that, that the ICU didn't quite resonate with her. <laughs> That's good. All right. So 15 years in the ER uh, and you eventually grew into management there. uh, And then I think you joined us after that, correct?
1: Yeah, I actually was led to guardian nurses by the same person who pulled me from the ICU to the ER, one of our colleagues (laughs) here at GN. So Uh, help me again with my next career
0: step. Oh that's great. Okay. So so let's tee up that so your current role uh we have a lot of nurses who work in in our mobile care coordinator programs which is where you live uh and you are one of 3 working on a large uh union in Philadelphia, correct? Yes.
1: Yep. Yeah, I'm one of the 3 nurses.
0: And and your role uh in that is what?
1: So we have Um, acute and chronic nurses. Uh, The acute nurses take care of the people that we meet in the hospitals, and then they transition to our chronic program, which is more of a long-term medical management program. Where I am is I'm somewhere in the middle. I have some people that have chronic issues and some people that have acute issues as well. So I work right between both of them.
0: And given your ER, uh, your 15 years in the ER, uh, it's interesting to me that you do... You do enjoy having, you have the complex patients who have long-term diagnoses, right? As well as the acute patients who have acute issues like an an emergency hospitalization or something, right? Is that, that's how you define it?
1: Yes. The people that um, we see on an acute basis, like that go into the hospital with an issue there, but then they transition to me. So I get to travel with them through their journey from the beginning and then I help them manage through which is nice to see them through.
0: And it, 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 Charlotte, explain a little bit how you get the information because I know that the story we're going to talk about is, is of a patient who was in the hospital. How do you get notified that folks are hospitalized?
1: So being part of the health and welfare benefits, we receive reports daily of people that go into the hospital. So we know that they're at the hospital and what hospital they're at, and then we're able to go visit them at the hospital, and introduce ourselves and our services to them.
0: And and when you get into the hospital, like what kind of things are you, are you looking for, right? You're walking in, you're meeting the patient typically for the first time um, and going into the room saying, hi, I'm, I'm your nurse. How do you introduce the service?
1: So how I always explain my role is that I'm a nurse advocate who helps people through the healthcare journey, but I'm mobile. I go to them. Uh, the healthcare system can be very crazy and overwhelming. So, to give people a better understanding of the navigating through the processes. I'm, excuse me, I'm there to help people have a better understanding of going through the healthcare process. I feel like I'm a support and a resource. I'm an extra set of eyes and ears that can help them along the way. I like to make sure their voices are heard, questions are answered. So they can better understand what's going on with them and they can get the best healthcare possible.
0: And do you, so you would interact so if upon getting into the room and introducing yourself if if someone is not sure or not able to explain to you why they're there like i don't know they they just admitted me uh you would interact them with their nurse or with their physician
1: absolutely so i make sure that the patient is okay with me speaking to the nurse or the physician on their behalf. Um, Often we do it together. Like I'll ask the nurse to come into the room and then talk to the patient so that the patient is being talked to and I can Mm -hmm. understand what the plan is with
0: them. Right. And then based on um, my, you know, so you're going, you've met that person, you've offered your help, they've accepted your help, and then you can continue Mm -hmm. on with them post-discharge.
1: Right. And make sure that they have follow-up care and they have all the right resources in place.
0: Right. And when, when do you typically, like if if you were to, I don't want to say discharge, but so somebody's admitted, somebody's discharged, they're home, they're good. Is that when the decision to say to the patient, okay, you're good. I'm I'm going to move on, but I'm always here if you need me.
1: So with patients, as I'm here to help them as little or as much as they need. Okay. Um, I can go to hospital. I go to the hospital, obviously meet them there, but I can also go to their doctor's appointments with them um and help them with the plan of care at the doctors and i even visit them at home to make sure that their um everything is situated there i feel ultimately i'm here to help and the amount of help they need is completely up to them like there's times that i'll speak to people multiple times a week and then i might not speak to that same person for a few weeks okay and if they feel that they're all wrapped up with their medical issues sometimes um we don't speak again after that but they'll reach out if they need help making a doctor's appointment or scheduling a test or have a billing concern. So right. it all depends where they are in their journey and how much support they need.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm sure they have you on speed dial after <laughs> after a certain while.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I do make sure I put my name and number in their phone so they know they can reach out <laughs> to me.
0: <laughs> no. And you know, it, it, the mobile care coordinator program is such a unique program in that, you know, patients are not, uh libel you know they don't have to pay for it right the, the, it's a benefit of their union membership or their employment which I'm sure on some level particularly with the with the fund that you represent and work with uh, you know might be they might be a little skeptical when you first and uh, explain it
1: Absolutely. The first question always is, how do you know I'm here, and they want to make sure that I'm not going to communicate with their employer, but right. I assure them that it's free and confidential and that their privacy is just as important to me as it is to them. Right. I try to be very transparent with my patients and make sure that they know exactly who I'm talking to and why I'm talking to, and that they're okay with me talking to those people.
0: Right. Yeah, and and that and that's a, a, as you develop trust, uh, the patient. I'm sure you know, and and the story we're going to talk about. I think that's the the strength of that of relationship continues over time, uh, and and can lead to you know better outcomes. I think that's what you know we're all looking for better outcomes, um, a better experience in the healthcare system. Because since COVID, uh, and I've heard it from a lot of our team, the healthcare system. You know, it was burdened during COVID, but now with the resignations, with the nursing shortage, with just a lot of uh, external factors, the healthcare system has become so difficult to manage. It was never easy, but it's really been difficult to manage. Would you agree? What's been your experience?
1: Absolutely. I think... Um that sometimes in healthcare people end up being piece treated or treated as a diagnosis. Like for example, someone is not a diabetic; they're Jane Doe with diabetes, a okay. whole person that needs to be treated like a whole person. Um, they're not just a diagnosis or a room number, but they need a whole. Uh, they need their treatment plan is so much more than just medical management and diagnostic studies. Obviously, an right. essential part of their treatment. But there's so much more to that. They need mental health attention or counseling, nutrition, physical therapies. Um, People have families and support systems that are important part of their lives as well. And I think Mm -hmm. being able to bring light to those things and have them addressed is really 1 of my favorite parts of being a nurse advocate of guardian nurses.
0: Yeah, and I, I think certainly some of the things that you've mentioned because people are in the hospital often. I think the average length of stay is you know four days, uh, if that, and so you can't possibly address all of those things in four days, uh, particularly in a in a bureaucratic healthcare system. So it's nice to have the support uh, of a nurse advocate to kind of get you through that. So so let let me um. Let me switch over and talk a little bit about the case that you and I have reviewed. So this is a long-term patient, but not necessarily, as you said, you weren't talking with her every day. Tell us, tell us about this case where you first met the patient.
1: So this current case, I was working with a member who I initially initially met at the hospital at the end of last year. They presented on the insurance report, so, I went out to them and I introduced myself and our service to both them and their spouse. Uh, this was somebody who was younger, who had had a surgery, uh, recovering from that surgery, and was due to start treatment for a newly diagnosed issue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, from there, discharged to the home. I called and did some follow ups, but we all know life gets so busy, um, especially with a new medical uh, issue going on, and we mm-hmm. never really reconnected after that. So I made a couple outreach calls, left some messages, I sent a letter and a card just to check in. Um, but then earlier this year, uh, the member represented on another hospital census. Mm. So at that time, my partner went out to the hospital and checked in, I uh, okay. reminded the member of our services. And then I was calling to check back in. But again, a lot of stuff going on while in the hospital, we never really reconnected. Okay. Um, Then a couple weeks later, one afternoon, I'd gotten a phone call from the nurse navigator at the hospital that the member was going home the next day, and the spouse had given them my phone number. And so the the navigator was hoping to connect with me to see how I could help support the member and their family on an outpatient basis.
0: I was really happy
1: that they had remembered us and our services, left our flyer and business cards. So people do come back around.
0: That's Which great, yeah. And and what I what I love hearing is that the um the hospital nurse navigator uh reached out. That's great, good because I think you know nurses. My experience is that nurses who are uh, working with us in the hospital understand the the need for support when folks are discharged. So it's pretty cool that she uh, reached out to you. Okay, so so what happened then?
1: So I called the navigator back. Had to leave a message. So then I reached out to the member and uh, had to leave a message. So I reached out to the spouse and finally, (laughs) finally, finally connected with someone. I was explaining that I received a call from the navigator and I wanted to see how I could help. From the moment we started the phone call, you could just feel the stress and the emotion in the spouse's Mm -hmm. voice. Um, Started to explain there was so much going on, didn't have time to speak, asked me to call back. Um, In less than a moment, it was completely evident how overwhelmed they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked if I could just come out and meet them at the hospital the next morning and immediately they agreed. So we connected okay. at that point.
0: Okay. And, and what, what, what was, what was on, what was on top of your head when you went in? Like what, how am I going to help? What can I do? Cause this is a, this is a patient who had not engaged initially, right? But now right. was, was facing yet another hospitalization. So what were you thinking about as you headed in?
1: So I feel like I always go into the hospital with an open mind. I can walk in and somebody could say, get out. Somebody could be like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness you're here. Mm-hmm. And then I could have people just kind of middle of the road. So I just go in with an open mind and I knew that I would be there to assess what they need and how I could help. Okay. So the next morning, we went over to the hospital. And when we got there, found out that the member had been transferred to the ICU, mm. um, went in, met them. And you could almost just physically feel the emotion in the room. There was so yeah. much going on. And Great. one of the first things they said to me is, we want to be transferred out of here. Mm. Totally listened okay. to their story, their feelings, all their concerns. And after a couple of weeks, they were just very frustrated with things. Um, it had been like a roller coaster, lots of peaks and valleys during the hospital stay. There was some complication. And they just felt like they weren't being really listened to and getting answers. Mm. Um, And I believe like the last transfer to the ICU was just kind of a breaking point. They had a family member who worked for another healthcare system who had been suggesting a transfer, but it was now that they were really ready to act upon it.
0: Okay. And did you feel that the transfer was appropriate?
1: Yeah, because the member wanted uh, another opinion, another set of eyes on the case, and it was going to bring them comfort in having that done. So what became my role was to figure out how to facilitate that.
0: Right. But you also have to deal with uh, with the insurance company, right? So while Absolutely. the family may have wanted the transfer, one of the things we have to consider is, okay, who's going <laughs> to, is it going to be approved? And, and you mm-hmm. know, how do I get that done? So, so tell me about that process.
1: So the member wanted to leave that hospital and wanted to leave as soon as possible. So I had to get to work. First, I did work, reached out to the nurse navigator and the social workers who had called me the day before. Um, I met with the nurse, met with the unit manager, worked with the NP on the unit. Um, the NP being Gadder the, all my, the oh, NP sorry, is, the nurse practitioner. Okay. Um, then I finally connected with the attending to the service to help facilitate the transfer. Um, And everybody I connected with was very well receiving of both me and my role uh, with the member, which was amazing and made things much easier. So how it worked was the physician at that hospital had to connect with the outside hospital for a transfer and present the case. And once that that case was presented, the member could facilitate transfer to another hospital.
0: And when did the – so the hospital, the outside hospital that you were transferring to dealt with the insurance approvals? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, they did. So actually, usually it's done on the sending hospital side, but in this case, it did end up being on the other side. They had it approved at the receiving okay. hospital. So once the proper physicians were connected, the transfer was initiated. Um, after a few hours, the member and her family were very happy that the balls were rolling in motion, the transfer was pending, the nurse navigator was just waiting for word back without acceptance, um, An insurance approval and was gonna set up rep- or set up transportation. Um, and I left and ensuring the member that their family and them had all my information. And then I was gonna call back and check on progress in a couple hours.
0: And then what happened? <clears throat>
1: so in less than 90 minutes after I left, I received a phone call from the nurse navigator and she had high emotion. She said to me, the member is gone. <laughs> and her tone just sent me into momentary panic. I thought, oh, my Lanza, the transfer uh, fell through, and the member left the hospital AMA. Like, what is going on? And I said, cool. what do you mean they're gone? And the navigator explained to me that transport from the receiving hospital had come and picked up the patient and wow. taken her to that facility. Wow. And this was less than two hours from my departure.
0: Oh, my God. That That's like record time. <laughs> that's like speedy time. Holy smokes
1: you know maybe i'm a little bit more of a magician that i thought and didn't even know it because it was on ah, the medical yeah happen. there you so go happen.
0: Ah, it's full circle your mom would be <laughs> proud of you <laughs> she charlotte charlotte the the charlotte the uh the magician <laughs> um and and um based on the transfer was the members care mm-hmm. better i mean did the family feel better
1: i think Everybody felt better. Um, the next day, I had visited the member at the new facility, and they were so much happier. Things were improving. Felt like they were finally getting answers, and their voices were being heard. Mm. Um, improved, and actually went home a few days later. Oh,
0: member great. and
1: the member mm-hmm. went on to get a second opinion from the new healthcare system, and is having some follow-up appointments on the outpatient.
0: Great. Oh, that's great. So, so, and you're still engaged. So, so they haven't, they, have, they're returning your calls now, I hope.
1: Yes. Yes, we are connecting more.
0: Because, <laughs> right. because I, you know, I'm thinking after not, not answering your calls for a year, it might be uh, helpful given your magician status to keep you in the back pocket, right. keep you on speed dial.
1: Everybody's. Indeed. I recommend it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, so Charlotte, when you, I mean, just the story, a lot of, a lot of our listeners may not realize, I mean, obviously there were extenuating circumstances that led to the family asking to transfer. uh, But that, Mm -hmm. you know, folks can, if, if you're in similar situations, you can always ask, you know, uh, it doesn't often happen. We don't often transfer patients in between, uh, you know, acute care facilities, but it, it can happen if things are meeting, you know, kind of a log jam or, you know, we're not moving forward or maybe they're not getting the care they need. So I guess one of the things I is is to ask, right? So, so you just initiated that call with the nurse navigator. Yes.
1: Yes. I think we were just uh, definitely a catalyst in getting things moved, getting mm-hmm. things moving.
0: You had initially contacted the nurse navigator to to discuss transferring the client the patient,
1: yes, yeah, so I initially reached out to the nurse navigator, um, as I knew she could work with the insurance companies, and I got the full stories from the nurses and the nurse practitioner and of course, the patient and their family to um, help facilitate things along.
0: And and if, if a facility doesn't have a nurse navigator, I, I think that's a new term uh, probably in the last several years, but also known as or could be known as the case manager, correct?
1: Yes. I mean the case manager and the social workers at the hospitals also help us do the same things.
0: Right. Okay. As
1: far as transfer so, and insurance approval, home cares.
0: And, and, I I think that's an important point because I I think even if folks don't, who are listening, don't have a nurse advocate like Charlotte Jaroma to to advocate for them and to coordinate that process, they can still have that conversation with their case manager, with a social worker at the facility. Right.
1: Absolutely. I think it's important to know that you can ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions, make sure that your needs are known and that people are, seeing every part of you and not seeing you just as a diagnosis of something. Um, You deserve to be treated as such. So to ask questions and make sure that you have your needs taken care of is really essential part of your treatment plan. Because at the end of the day, you're the one dealing with all this and you need to make sure that you have the right things in place.
0: Did, did, did you feel like they had, or did the, did the family feel like the um, uh, original hospital had just, kind of been dealing with them as a diagnosis? Was that part of the energy in wanting to get out?
1: I think that there were so many up and, ups and downs that just they felt like there was no true answers to their questions, mm-hmm. that it just got moved around and they weren't getting answers to their questions. Right. So they needed somebody just to coordinate the whole care with everything going on.
0: Right. And that can be so overwhelming, particularly if you're dealing with a, you know, a hospital and, and you've been there a long time and there's so many players. Um, I, and I, I have been saying that for many years that when, when folks ask me what the number one problem in healthcare is, as if there was only one, um, I always say communication, right? Like it, it's communication, right? There, we have great testing. We have great doctors. We have great nurses, right? We have a lot of great resources, but that doesn't mean that there's communication happening among those resources, right? We're, we're all still human. Uh, And we have great electronic medical records and, you know, all this great technology, but at the end of the day, it's about humans communicating with other humans. uh, And sometimes the ones that are, you know, communicating to the patient aren't necessarily, you know, the best.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the old, saying is communication is key and communication goes a long way even when people are waiting for a test and the test gets backed up and backed up and backed up people not addressing it doesn't make the situation better it just makes uh, it actually more stressful because you don't know what you're waiting for but if you're told you know there was a problem with the machine or there was somebody that had an issue at least you're being communicated with and you feel like you're important enough for somebody to talk to you and not just be forgotten about.
0: Right. In fact, you know, I tell the story so many years ago when I was a nursing supervisor. Part of the reason it's a story that I remember really uniquely because it was part of why I started Guardian Nurses is that, you know, as a supervisor, I was always called down, you know, for conflict. Nurses would be busy on the floor, you know, three to 11, and they would call and all the time be like, well, this family wants to talk to you. OK, what's what's going What's going on? I don't know. And you would go in and and I would say, hey, you know, I'm the nursing supervisor. What's happening? How can I help? Well, how come my mom's not eating? Uh, How come she's not allowed to eat? Okay, let me check. Right. And I would go out to the chart and see when, you know, see that, oh, mom was uh, not ordered anything to eat or drink by mouth because she was having a study in the morning. Oh, so I would go back in and tell them and they're like, well, why didn't anybody tell us? Yeah, that's a good point. Why didn't anybody tell you? right and i started to put those things together time after time shift after shift and i thought what's going on in our healthcare system where we're not talking to people right we're so bu- right people are so busy it's not like they're sitting in the lounge you know eating bonbons right nurses are on the floor they're busy they're taking care of patients but you know we're all assuming that everybody knows what's happening and and that's a bad assumption to make
1: absolutely Communication between not only the providers and the patient, but between the providers and each other, different disciplines, different disciplines of healthcare, like the cardiologist yeah. to the pulmonologist, the oncologist to the gastroenterologist, and things of that nature. Everybody right. needs to be on the same page to get the best care for the patient.
0: Right, and and in this case that you were talking about, I think you know the patient was in for a while in the hospital, and that can extend or exacerbate any communication issues as it is. So
1: I think sometimes in a situation where people do spend more time in a hospital that someone always thinks that someone else already addressed the situation and inevitably no one addressed the situation.
0: Right. 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 What do they say about don't assume, don't assume. I won't say it. I won't say it. Okay. So, so Charlotte, I I always like to ask uh, our guests, you know, if, if you could have one takeaway you know for a piece of advice for our listeners um as a nurse advocate what would it be
1: my advice is to ask questions and don't be afraid to ask questions um make sure that your needs as the patient or your patient or your family member um are known make sure that if there's something a concern to you that it is being addressed
0: okay okay and yeah don't be afraid to ask it's okay Nobody's, nobody's going to be angry or nobody's going to give you better, worse care because you ask a question. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you. You are in charge of your healthcare. Yes, you are. And, and I wish patients would more patients, I should say, more patients would feel that way and feel empowered. Right. Uh, And, and, and not need nurse advocates to, to, you know, support their way through the healthcare system. But um, sadly, we are here because people need us. Um, so I want to thank you for, for joining me. And um, I I actually want to say I look forward to your next magic trip trick.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I, yeah. I look forward to being able to surf warm for you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Charlotte. Take care. Talk to you soon.
1: Thank, thank you, Betty. Thanks for having me.
0: Talk to okay, you bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.
0: If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardian nurses.com. That email again is podcast at guardiannurses.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the lighting your way podcast on Apple podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, guardiannurses.com. So until next time, find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them. Take care.